Our key verse is, is uh, one that we cannot miss. It's in the middle of John chapter 11. And Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we remember the resurrection of Christ. As we look at this passage when he demonstrated his power over death with Lazarus, we pray that you would lift us up, that you would raise us in faith to life that is eternal, that begins now through faith in Jesus. It casts away fear and it gives uh, hope and encouragement to all who belong to Christ. Fill us with that this morning as we look into your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At the beginning of the service we read from Matthew's Gospel in chapter 28. But the angel said to the women when they went to the tomb and the stone was rolled away, they were there to anoint the body of Christ. But something had happened that was beyond their expectation. The angel said, he is not here. He has risen just as he said. He has risen just as he said. That was the message of the church. The disciples weren't brave and courageous. They didn't make this up. They were cowering in fear until the resurrected Christ appeared to them. The women went and told them, he's risen. This is what the angel told us. And the disciples didn't believe the women. Jesus appeared uh, to the disciples except for Thomas, who was not with them the first time. And when Thomas came back, they said, Jesus is risen. And Thomas said, unless I see his hands and his feet, I, I cannot believe it. That's why he's called Doubting Thomas. And then the next week, Jesus appeared and Thomas was with them. And he said, look, my hands and my feet. And Thomas fell down at his feet and said, my Lord and my God. In Acts, uh, we find the first sermon preached after Jesus was ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit came upon the, the disciples, the followers of Christ. The first sermon preached by Peter begins this way in chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Death swallows us up, and we cannot in ourselves defeat it. It says, though death those the cat that swallowed the, the giant mouse that had a grenade inside. Jesus was swallowed up by death, and the infinite Son of God burst its power. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And on this morning, we celebrate he has risen. He is risen. And that is the basis of our hope. But it's not just a fact in history. 
It's something that applies to us. He has risen and he raises us up from the dead. He comes to us with resurrection power and shares with us his victory over death. He is Lord and Christ over life and death, not just that death couldn't hold him, but death cannot hold all who belong to him. And so we turn to the Gospel of John, where before Jesus himself rose from the dead, demonstrates his power and authority over death for the third time. He raised Jairus' daughter back to life. He raised the son of the widow of Nain back to life. This is likely the third occurrence. And this is with a friend. This is a family that Jesus knew well. And we read from the beginning of chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Right here we need to stop and say that Jesus knew what he was going to do from the beginning. He said, this sickness will not end in death. It doesn't guarantee what Jesus planned on doing to raise Lazarus immediately back to life, because Mary, Martha, and Lazarus believed in the resurrection in the end, on the last day. We know that from later in the chapter. And Jesus could have been saying, this sickness will not end in death because of the resurrection at the last day. He had even bigger plans than that. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now here we can begin to identify with this episode in the Gospel of John. Because when bad things happen to us, we wonder, where is God? I know he loves me. He's proven it in Christ. We worship him. We pray to him. He is our ever-present help in time of trouble. But why doesn't he just come and fix this? We pray and we pray and we pray. How could he let a loved one die? How could he allow this sickness into my life? I don't understand. Here in this passage, we know first from Jesus' perspective that he knew what he was going to do. He was sovereign over this situation. We know he loved them, yet he stayed where he was two more days. He had big plans, bigger than the people involved could see. That's an aspect of faith that we need to have, that our trust is in God who knows everything, who's sovereign over everything, his plans are bigger than we can see. And when we can't see the whys and wherefores, we still can trust him. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. 
But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you. That was back in chapter 8. We looked at that last week. And yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. This is kind of an enigmatic saying of Jesus. What was he saying here? He's basically telling his disciples, you don't know the plan. You're walking in the dark. Just trust me. Follow me. I am the light of the world. I know what I'm doing. That's a message for us, too. We walk in darkness. We see as in the glass darkly. So why would we trust our judgment of things? Let's trust in God. Let's trust in him who's proven his love for us, even when we don't understand. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples still don't see the whole picture. They think, they replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking about his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. You see, they didn't want to go to Jerusalem. They knew that those who are out to stone Jesus would not be friendly towards the followers of Jesus. And with their limited vision, they're thinking, if he's just asleep, we don't have to go, do we? How often do we scramble with our limited knowledge? We don't just trust God to know what he's doing. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. What a strange thing to say. We don't know how rampant this coronavirus is going to get. There are hopeful signs this week. And we praise God for those hopeful signs. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Provide for us, Lord. Our jobs are, are all disrupted. Lead us not into temptation, that time of testing, but deliver us from evil. We can pray, deliver us from this illness. We praise God when there are hopeful signs. But if that is all we hope in, then it's kind of hard to hear God say, I'm glad for your sake that I'm not right there right now. He spiritually is. But the incarnate Jesus is not with us to do that miracle, to make it all go away. It almost seems callous, doesn't it? I'm glad for your sake that I was not there. But Jesus knows his bigger plans so that you may believe. If he had gone immediately and healed Lazarus, that would have been a miracle. He planned on going to raise Lazarus back from the dead to prove his authority over death. We don't know the bigger work that God is doing in our lives and in the lives of others through the things he allows into our lives. Then Thomas, bless his heart. You know the Southernism, what bless his heart means. Bless his heart means what an idiot. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, this is the Thomas who doubted Jesus' resurrection, who had to see Jesus for himself. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you because you've seen. You believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We have a greater privilege than Thomas has 
in our faith in Jesus, Thomas still didn't have the faith that Jesus was going to do a great work. But he had loyalty. He had commitment to Christ. This is actually astounding faith. Would you have had the courage to do what Thomas did here? He said, let us also go that we may die with him. That's faith. You know, when we stumble, when we fall, when we can't see it, when we don't know what God is doing, when we're all downhearted and discouraged, just be loyal. Just be committed to Jesus. Just follow him and you'll see the great work that he has done and will do in your life. And so we come to the, uh, to the events in Bethany. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We'll pick that up when Mary says the same thing and talk more about that. But there's still some faith in Martha's hope in Jesus. Perhaps she had heard about the daughter of Jairus, the son of the widow of the town of Nain. And she hoped still, said, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus didn't say, don't worry, I'll fix it. He didn't address her with her immediate request. He called her to something higher and greater. He calls her to faith in him for the eternal life that he came to bring, not just for the answer here and now. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now we know because we know the rest of the story that Jesus is talking about today. He will rise, but I think he says it in this ambiguous way to point to the ultimate resurrection. And Martha knows where he's going with it. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. How many times do we respond to God like that? We know things that are his promises in the Bible. We know that those who believe in Christ will not perish but have eternal life. But we've fallen sick. We've got a, a real struggle. We, we've lost our job. A, a, a relationship is broken. We are hurting. And we come to God in prayer and we pray, God, please, please fix this. I know you can do whatever you, you will. And you call on us to pray, so we ask you, we plead with you. And God, through his word, says, you will rise again at the last day. And we respond, I know. I know I'll rise again at the last day. But we say it in the spirit, like, but that doesn't really help me out today. It's so easy for us to fall into that. And I think Martha was responding that way. It's kind of like, I know, but it sounds like you're not going to help me out now. And Jesus calls her to a kind of personal faith and trust that is our key verse. Jesus said to her, I am 
We've noticed in John, when Jesus says, I am, in Jack, back in John 8, it stood alone before Abraham was, I am. The I am statements in John are famous. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Jesus is claiming to himself the very name of God that God gave to Moses, the burning bush. I am who I am. And what he's claiming here is the ultimate. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. I actually love the way the ESV and the King James uh, says this. He who believes in me, though he die. It says it at a principal level, though he should die. Yet will he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. It doesn't mean we won't die physically. It's whoever so lives beyond death will never die. It is eternal life. And Jesus is saying, I am that resurrection and life. Do you believe in me? He asked Martha, do you believe this? He asks you, do you believe this? Here we don't know Martha's uh, response in spirit. We know her words. I think she's comforted by this. She still could be saying, I know, I know. But it seems to be a higher confession than that that brings comfort to her troubled soul. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now, she still has no idea that Jesus is going to raise her brother back from the dead. But I think she submits with the kind of faith and trust that brings calm to her spirit, and she's just his. She goes back to the house. After he had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here. Now, I think it's fair to say that when Jesus arrived in town, uh, up in the previous verse, in verse 19, it, uh, in verse uh, 20, it says, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. The implication is that Mary heard too. It doesn't say that when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, uh, she went out to meet him, but Mary didn't get the news. Mary didn't know he was there. It doesn't say that. It's Mary stayed at home. I think Mary is really mad at Jesus. Martha had this hope, but even now you can do what uh, God will do for you whatever you ask. Mary's just pouting. Have we drawn back in our faith because of trouble he's allowed into our lives? Mary, when she hears that Jesus is there and asking for him, you know how it is when you're, you're kind of upset with somebody and you're drawing back from them, then somebody says, he's asking for you. Okay, I, I'm going to go and t I'm going to tell him. That's what Mary does. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. We know from the first thing she said that she wasn't going happily and eagerly. Verse 30, now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. I think she would have noticed if it's like, what's happened? This seems to be happy news. Instead, she's mad. She's frustrated with Jesus. She goes out. She still looks in mourning, and they, they think she's going to the tomb to mourn there. 
When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. That's wonderful. She's a, she belongs to Christ. She fell at his feet. That's an act of worship. If you're frustrated with God, just fall at his feet. Don't run away from him. Run to him with your frustrations. Fall at his feet. Worship him. And then just pour out your soul. The Psalms are full of those kinds of, of prayers. And Mary says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The exact words that Martha said. So don't you know, in those four days since they had buried their brother Lazarus, Mary and Martha were saying to each other, if Jesus had been here, he wouldn't have died. If Jesus had been here, he wouldn't have died. I don't understand why he didn't come. We sent for him. He stayed there for two more days, and it took two days to get here. He, he could have come, but he, he didn't come. If he'd been here, my, our brother would not have died. They were talking to each other about that. So it's the first thing out of both of their mouths. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. It's really hard for us to understand if God is sovereign, why don't you just fix it in the first place? If he's weeping, does that mean that he somehow fell asleep and missed it and, and wished it hadn't happened? Neither alternative is a, is a faithful alternative. It's not true. God is sovereign. But he's not sovereign and callous up there. He grieves over our sins. The other place in the Bible that says Jesus wept, he wept over Jerusalem because he knew that Jerusalem was going to crucify him and not believe in him. And he said, if, if you only knew the time of my coming and who it was that was coming to you, he wept over their sin. He wept over the consequence of sin here with death. He enters our grief. How many times when... We have a friend who's suffering, who has a really bad thing happen, the loss of a loved one. Do Christians want to go with the pious right answers and say, well, you know God works everything together for good. Why is that obnoxious? It's true, but why is it obnoxious? It's because really it's a kind of emotional and spiritual stiff arm. We're saying, I don't want to grieve with you I don't want this to trouble me. So I know the right answer to it. So God will work all this out. And we leave people sitting there in their grief. Jesus didn't do that. He is sovereign, and yet he entered into their grief. And he wept. And the people around saw it, and they knew what it meant. Then the Jews said, see how he loved them. You know, the Bible tells us to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. When we're in grief, it's hard for us to rejoice in somebody else's blessing, but that's actually called envy and coveting, and it, it robs our joy. It's also true when we're not in the midst of suffering, it's hard for us to enter into one another's grief and to weep with those who weep. We don't want to be burdened and troubled by that. But Jesus 
who is sovereign, who knew what he was going to do, had the power to fix it all, did not say, don't worry, I'll fix it, and keep him at arm's length. He entered into their grief and he wept. There's something greatly comforting in that. As we have this shadow of a cloud over all of us, what's unusual about it is that we're all facing this global virus and the threat of what it could become. It has not yet become like the plagues in Europe that killed two-thirds of the population, and we pray that it won't. We don't even think it will. We're not at that level uh, because we are listening to the authorities, we're doing the right things and, and staying socially distant, trying to mitigate it, and, and our hope, we have a kind of self-confidence that a vaccine, a treatment's going to come up, this isn't going to be a big problem. We're not facing the plagues of the Middle Ages, are we? And yet it's a shadow that hangs over all of us. But you know what? We're still mortal when we don't have this universal shadow. We still face individually the illnesses, the broken relationships, the struggle for provisions. We all face these things. It's when we're not doing it all together that we think life is secure. And yet it's not. It's not. There's something comforting to know that God cares about our suffering. And we can kind of rationally respond, but if you're sovereign, you could just stop it. God has a greater plan than we often can see. We're stumbling in the darkness when we're thinking that way. Because God wanted to demonstrate his love for us in a far greater way than just keeping us from suffering and living in our sin in the fallen world. He allows this world to be broken so that we can say, how can we trust in the things of this world? We need to trust in the one who overcomes the sin and death and gives us life eternal. That's what he wants for us. The Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, still with that cynical thing that we're so prone to, he said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? If he really loved him, why wasn't he here earlier? They weren't giving up on that. Oh, please, let's all of us give up on that one and just say, Lord Jesus, I trust you. Even when I don't understand, I trust you. Then let's see what Jesus did. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Now we know that Martha has put her trust in Jesus. She knows he will rise again at the last day. She has no clue. The one who said, even now God will give you whatever you ask. I think she's given up on the, the immediate fix. Jesus kind of got lost there. And she now is so convinced that this miracle can't happen. I think if I had been Martha, although we often think so much better of ourselves than the characters that we're reading about, when we're put on the spot, how often do we trip up? If I'd been there, I might have started getting excited. He's rolling back the, t the stone. I know that even now God will do whatever he asks. I heard that he raised the son of, of the widow of Nain. I heard that he raised Jairus' daughter. Is he going to do that for, for my brother? I might have thought that. But that's with 20-20 hindsight. It's not right there. Often when we are present, we were just stumbling in the darkness.
Now, the King James often is more reverent with the older Shakespearean language. This time, there's more humor in it. In the King James, Martha says, by this time, he stinketh. He stinketh. And that's kind of become a, a saying when, when something bad happens, it just, this stinketh. It just reminds us. We get so frustrated with the, the circumstances. But our short-sightedness, we should be able to laugh at ourselves in the silliness of our unbelief. When Jesus has lived, died, risen again, and promises life to raise us up. He proves his power to do that with this immediate miracle. And he says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? The fact is, she didn't believe. It's, it's not the strength of their faith that raises Lazarus from the dead. He's just saying, trust me. Trust me. I'm going to do this. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus is not calling people to follow him instead of the God of the Pharisees. His claim all along has been that the true and living God has sent him, God the Son, into the world. To receive Jesus is to receive God. To reject Jesus is to reject God. So he says it here, that this miracle is the very work of God through him. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out or come forth. You can just visualize what it must have been like. I think there's no mistake that when Jesus said, Lazarus, that was the call of Christ that raised him to life. So that Lazarus could hear the call of Christ, come to me, come out. It's a picture of our regeneration. Picture Lazarus dead in the tomb. Jesus didn't say, Lazarus, if you put your faith in me, then uh, I'll raise you to life. He couldn't hear. He was dead. Instead, he said, Lazarus. And Lazarus is awake in the tomb. I wonder what that was like for Lazarus. The, the light was coming in, from the open grave. He was still wrapped in the, the grave clothes, and he hears the voice of Jesus Come forth, come to me. And he gets up. He's struggling in those wrapped around grave clothes. And he comes out of the tomb. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The Bible says that we are born dead in our trespasses and sins. It's not just that we're sick. We're spiritually dead. We're unresponsive to God. But the work of God is this. He, by his spirit, through the call of the gospel, calls you by name. He calls us by name. And when he calls us by his spirit, he gives us, he raises us to life spiritually so that we hear the call of the gospel. And when we hear the call of the gospel, we want to come. He's given us a new heart. He's made us alive so that when instead of being dead in our trespasses and sins and rebellious towards God, we come. 
and then we want to get get all those sinful uh, you know, the sinful attributes, those grave clothes. We want to shed them and follow our risen Savior. But not everybody in this passage did. I won't read all the verses of the remaining of the of the chapter, but the Pharisees uh, hear about this. They see Lazarus. They are worried about this in verse. Uh, 48 uh, 47 then the chief priests and the pharisees called a meeting of the sanhedrin what are we accomplishing they asked here is this man performing many miraculous signs if we let him go on like this everyone will believe in him then the romans will come and take away both our place and our nation we think that if we just been there and seen the resurrection how could we not believe? If you knew somebody could raise the dead, would you not want to be his best friend? Except that Jesus comes to claim not only to be our Savior, but our Lord. And we don't want to lose that place in our lives. We want to do what we want to do. And so we find ridiculous faith, dismissing the one who has power over life and death and saying, we got to stop this. we got to stop this. If, if this goes on, everybody's going to believe and we'll lose our place in our nation, I'll lose my lordship over my life. Marty said that he loves uh, uh, Masters Golf Tournament. This is still the Masters Weekend, the Masters Weekend on the Lord's Day. But we want to be our own master. It's God calling you. Perhaps you have belonged to him for many years. But you're still stumbling like the disciples were. Oh, Lord, let us go to Jerusalem and die with him. We have a defeated attitude in life. We're like Mary and Martha. If you'd been here, this problem wouldn't have happened. Trust in him. He will raise you up. If you hear this message and you, you haven't given your life to Christ, is the Holy Spirit calling you now, saying, Your name, arise, come to me. All you who are weak and heavy laden, I will raise you up. Lou Holt was a man in our church many years ago. He had been an athlete, a semi-pro baseball player, so he's quite an athlete. We didn't get to know him until he was older in age. He had retired, and he was not a Christian uh, when he retired. But some friends invited him to go on a cruise. And he went on that cruise, and it was a Christian cruise. He, the presentations were not Broadway musicals. They were the gospel itself. And he came to faith in Jesus Christ and, and came back to our community and started coming to Sycamore back when we were meeting in the school. And in that same year that he came to faith, he lost his health. When he joined the church, he wept with joy, tears of joy. He just said, when I became a Christian, I lost my health. I always had good health. I was an athlete and I enjoyed life, but I was afraid to die. And when I became a Christian, I lost my health. But the thing is, and tears just began to flow with tears of joy. He said, here's the thing. I'm no longer afraid to die because he knew Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, he who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And he who so believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? If you do, 
He will raise you up now and at the last day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would enable us to worship you without all the outward circumstances that bring light and life. Let us worship you in the hard times because you have broken the power of sin and death and you bring a hope to us that the world cannot give and a future to us that only you can give. We pray that we would uh, trust in you as Lord and Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.